Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Today's special guest, we're going to call him a rising star of the media industry, Mike Monaco, one of our, our friends from uh, the Notre Dame Beat back in the day. Mike, uh, I guess, how are you doing? Just for the record, for our listeners, this is a non-emergency podcast, even though there was some emergency news with uh, Notre Dame football and, and the NCAA today. But Mike, let's talk about more upbeat things. Your, uh, your, your future and what the Shamrock bump will mean for you in uh, broadcasting <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. Well, my colleague, Eric McLean, uh, he just put out a photo, Matt was saying this before we hit recorded, of, of him and uh, now President Joe Biden. Uh, I think yesterday he posted that. We've got offensive linemen uh, ruling this podcast, but everyone gets a, a podcast bump it seems regardless of position and i am a loyal listener i'm in a fantasy football league of of notre dame guys and i've told matt this there is a team name in our league that is matt fortuna in our fantasy football league so uh i come from a a group of of loyalists to the shamrock did did they um did that team finish last or second to last i'm curious you know they were they were in the thick of things they didn't take home any money but they they put together a, a quality performance that you know, like a the college equivalent of maybe like an eight and four season. Just not good enough. Story of my life. I think that's pretty appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Mike, for for people who have maybe sort of followed your career when you were with Notre Dame football, I did a lot of FIM type stuff. Um, I mean, catch people up on what what you've been doing. I mean, you know, baseball, college basketball. Um, you've been involved in some pretty cool stuff. Um, pretty much out of the gate after Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was kind of just hanging around around the, the Notre Dame beat scene, uh, especially as a student doing stuff with The Observer and with what was then called Fighting Irish Digital Media, um, what is now Fighting Irish Media, and wrote for Bleacher Report once upon a time as a, a, a pseudo beat writer there. Um, Matt and I had a, a podcast together for some, for some glorious days. Um, but since then, yeah, so I... Um, did a bunch of work calling games for Big Ten Network and for FS1 um, and did that for a few seasons um, and then got hired last year to broadcast for ESPN, uh, mostly for their new ACC network, where you guys have obviously had guests before. Um, so right now in the thick of college basketball and calling a, a lot of college basketball, doing it from home, not not going around to ACC venues this year because of COVID. Um and then I've been lucky enough the last couple of years to fill in broadcasting Red Sox games as well, which um, for a guy from outside of Boston, grew up a Red Sox fan, that's been incredible. So, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a winding road. I did minor league baseball, worked for the South Bend Cubs right out of college the, the second semester of my senior year. So kind of done a, a little bit of everything. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, a fun ride for sure. And I feel like I'm, I'm getting old now like six years since graduating it feels like it it was like two years and all of a sudden you're you're a half dozen years out of college you still have a full head of hair so you're not allowed to complain <laughs> just yet and for the record for our <laughs> thank loyal you for having me anyway <laughs> for our loyal shamrock listeners uh the podcast mike and i used to co-host together was called still independent which uh I don't think exists and would have had to change its title this year anyway, if it did still exist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but we'll yeah, we would out. have had to have a contingency <laughs> plan for that. We'll pour one out for those guys uh, at, the, at the end of the show. Mike, um, do you have any Nerd Dame connections before? I mean, I know it's, 
in some ways, the central casting, right? Like the, the Boston Irish guy, kind of like the head coach, um, you know, ends up at Notre Dame. But, but you know, what drew you to the place? Did you have any family connections there? Did you ever been there before? Uh, did you know what you wanted to do for a living uh, as you were applying to colleges? No. So I had um, no connection to, to Notre Dame, really. And I applied to a bunch of different schools out of high school and didn't know really where I wanted to go. Um, I actually kind of grew up, uh, even though college sports aren't huge back home in, in Boston. I grew up a pretty big Boston college fan and uh, there were some good years on the basketball side with like the, the Tyrese Rices and Jared Dudleys and Craig Smiths of the world. Um, and then, you know, they climbed pretty high on the football side too with Matt Ryan. Um, but I, I didn't really want to go to BC. I had a lot of family ties there. Um, and then went to college actually thinking I wanted to work in like a baseball front office. And so I idolized Theo Epstein growing up. Uh, you know, with the the Red Sox connection and fandom. And I had read somewhere that Theo had at Yale as an undergrad written for the student newspaper. And so me, uh, not with with much intelligence, I go to Notre Dame and think, oh, well, if I want to be a, a baseball general manager someday, I'll write for the student newspaper. Um, as, as imperfect a path as that sounded like. But that's how I got hooked on at The Observer. Um, and then I did that for, for four years. And for the fans who may not know The Observer, the, the student newspaper at Notre Dame, um, and absolutely loved that and uh, stuck with it all four years, even once I realized I wanted to go more the, the broadcasting route uh, of things and, and do a lot of play by play with all sorts of sports on campus. You know, as our last guest, John Walters, was a an 89 grad. So I feel like he sort of spoke to a, a contingent of the Notre Dame fan base <laughs> that uh, had a lot of formative memories of Notre Dame winning a national championship and the Lou Holtz era and all that. And so I think how he processes the current state of Notre Dame football is, is one way. Um, you are much, much younger than that. Um, and so have sort of your formative years of Notre Dame football was not good a lot of times. Uh, and while you were a student here, it was a little bit all over the map. So as Brian Kelly wraps up year 11, two college football playoff appearances. Um, how do you sort of process the state of, of Notre Dame football as a fan, as an alum, uh, from a from a generation who sort of knows what it's like for Notre Dame to sort of be off the map a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because I don't come at it from the perspective of lifelong Notre Dame fan the way mm -hmm. a lot of current students do. Um, and Matt and I have talked about this before, like the first Notre Dame game period that I went to was the, the USF game. So that was first game of my freshman year. That, that was I my do. introduction to, <laughs> to Notre Dame stadium and to, to Notre Dame football. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I come at it from a little different angle of, you know, like the four and eight season, um, you know, obviously a place you, you never want to be at again and, and really never should be at again. Um, but I think for me, like I was maybe a, a little more understanding of um, one downturn than, than maybe some of my, my college friends and, and college roommates were. Um, and then you look at the body of work, you know, since then in the last, what, four seasons. I mean, it's hard to argue anything other than that they're operating at a level that is as high as, as what, anything but the top three teams in the country of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. So I think that's kind of where I've settled in and, and probably have for a longer time, maybe um, over the last couple of years. But, you know, uh, once you see what's happened um, two of the last three years in the playoffs, you're, you're asking, as, as you guys have asked the questions before of Notre Dame, like what, what comes next and how do you take that next step?
What was your best experience at Notre Dame? Who was you know, really your champion, you know, really influential to you as you joined the school paper? When did you come to peace with the fact that you might not be the next Theo Epstein, but you could maybe <laughs> still have a, a pretty crazy good career for yourself in this crazy media business? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of people who were really good to me there. Um, Nathan Bush, who works with Fighting Irish Media, still is there. Uh, went to Notre or started working at Notre Dame right around when I was starting as a student. Rob Kelly, who's who's still currently there. Aaron Horvath, um, Ryan Camden, people like that that came before. Um, yeah, Mike Bonner, who who then the video board in the the 2017 season. He asked me to do interviews on the video board post game and uh, and be part of the post game show that he had started with uh, the great Ryan Harris and the the great Jack Nolan as well. Uh, so that was great to be a part of, but, um, a lot of great people. Like I remember being a student at the music city bowl and it was, I guess my senior year. And I was there for the student radio station to broadcast the, that game against LSU. And we were supposed to have a, a broadcast booth, but something had gotten lost in translation on where the student radio station for Notre Dame was going to broadcast the game from. And this is like minutes before kickoff and John Heisler like goes to extreme lengths to nope, no problem. Like we'll, we'll figure this out kicks some i don't know who it was kicks some people out of one of the broadcast booths and just gets us set up so like you know people like that who don't need to worry about what people from the the student radio station are doing but go to that length to make sure that that we had a good experience is is pretty cool and i think uh speaks to the people at notre dame it is you we're talking about doing post-game video interviews to jog my memory of like one of my favorite post-game interviews of all time <laughs> um that the the assembled media was not privy to it all until after the fact. Uh, when you talked to Drew Tranquil after the Georgia game in 2017, um, I think we actually did sort of a look back story. We chatted about this a few years ago, but like what um, I, I was interested sort of about your interaction with Notre Dame football players, like Matt and I sort of have our favorites over the years from a media perspective, like who was really good to deal with from your point of view as you were, kind of in a more relaxed setting with them, you know, doing mm-hmm. more in-house type stuff. Like who was, who was good to sort of connect with good to good to interview that way. I think there's a long list um, names that, that come to me from kind of the, the video board time, like my post-grad time, uh, Mike McGlinchey, who, who, as you guys know, was, was awesome to deal with interviewing him. Uh, Brandon Wimbush for sure. Um, as a student, Matthias Farley and, probably comes as, as no surprise to anyone that knows him. I had some classes with him and um, just a great guy. Um, I had a, a, a funny interaction with Kibari Russell too. So this was you my too, senior huh? year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who hasn't his, uh, his famous quotes about uh, sluggo roots and, and defending <laughs> those. But uh, so I was a, I was a senior. So fall of 2014, the, the academic dishonesty year. And my senior year, I'm out trying to enjoy myself on a, a Thursday night, and I get a call from a source, which, I mean, a, a student newspaper writer. I didn't have many of those. But so I take the call, and uh, they say, well, hey, Kavari, you know, addressed the team today and said that he's going to be out for the, the rest of the year. Because at that point, I think it was still up in the air if, if those five players would come back at any point or something like that. So I'm like, okay, well, we might have a chance to – to break the story that Kibari Russell is, is out for the year. So I leave the bar, uh, you know, leave all my friends, go into the observer offices and text 
Kivari because I, I had had a class with him. We had taken a, a theater class together of all things. And there were like a yes. dozen people in the class. And it's, it's me, Kivari, and uh, we, Kivari was one of the main people I spoke to in that class. So I texted him. I'm like, hey, you know, Kivari, I heard that, um, you know, you addressed the team today and you, you said you're out for the year. Like, I've been told that. Do you want to, do you want to comment on that, uh, you know, for the observer? And he texted me back, LOL, nah. that's that's how it goes i appreciate it uh and i eventually saw him after the fact and and we laughed about it um but funny stuff like that i mean just crazy personalities to deal with troy nicholas uh was a hoot when i was uh doing observer stuff there was a photo shoot because you know people who've, who've been on campus know the the irish insider comes out on the friday before a a game day and we would always do try to do cover shoots with with the athletes or whoever is getting spotlighted on the cover and it was a game against usc and someone had wrangled like a, a trojan helmet for troy nicholas to wear and he was all about it gung-ho to the point where he wanted to do the photo shoot shirtless and we were like shooting <laughs> him shirtless doing this yeah doing this photo shoot and the great michael birch comes out and he's like Troy, like, do, do we need to do this? So we uh, we nipped that one in the bud. But uh, yeah, just a, a lot of fun personalities. Yeah, that reminded me of a story just as you were telling the Kavari Russell story. And we all have had stories like this when we were working uh, at student outlets in, in college. Uh, someone had gone kicked off the team at Penn State or reportedly kicked off the team at Penn State. Uh, and I don't want to mention the name, but you know, my editor texts a random player to, for confirmation about it. And he wakes up to a text at three in the morning that just replied, yeah, boy, with boy spelled like B-O-I-I-I-I-I. Um, clearly, you know, sober and, and fully uh, competent. Don't think that was used as an official source record. But you know, t- that brings me to my next question, which is, their name's different because it's a smaller school. Like you just mentioned a class you had with Kavari Russell. You, I'm sure, had personal relationships or saw a lot of these guys almost every day. It's not like that at Penn state or at a lot of other schools where it's so much, it's just bigger. And, you know, there's, you know, more of a disconnect, so to speak. Um, what was that like being in the thick of it? You know, um, I'd say playing both sides, but you, know, you have to, we have to balance our professionalism whenever we're writing about these guys, whether it's good or bad for, for someone like you, who's still learning the business at that time and who is seeing these guys every day and probably even living among some of them every day, you know, what, what's that like? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting because like, I remember hearing about Gunnar Keel coming to Notre Dame because people in my dorm had heard, Hey, like Gunnar Keel, like a student is moving into the dorm. And I just happened to live in that same dorm. And it's like, you know, you don't get that if students are, are living in one place and all your football players are, are living in another, um, like I, one time I picked up, I had a friend of mine who was like, Hey, you know, can you pick up like some of my friends from the airport? Like I, I was going to be around. I'm not around. You're going to be around. I know you have a car. Uh, they happen to be football players. And so I roll up to the South Bend airport in my, my Subaru Outback and it's Quentin Nelson and Brandon Wimbush and Quentin Nelson has to find a way to, to sit in the, the tiny Subaru Outback that I have. It's just like, it's just different. And I think to your point, Matt, like, for someone like me at the time who was trying to figure out the world of, of journalism and to try to find out like, how do you break stories when you're competing against a, uh, you know, all these beat writers for the, the same story or the same scoop uh, are trying to find out, especially on a beat as, as big as Notre Dame. Uh, 
it's really interesting. And like we would use at the student newspaper, like some different uh, like approaches to try to get stories. Like when DeVaris Daniels was part of that and was out for the year, he was coaching uh, a women's dorm inner hall, like flag football team. So instead of sending like our freshman writers to go cover that inner hall, like flag football game, which we would normally do. It's like the, the entry level position at the observer to cover inner hall football, men's and women's. We sent like one of our, our top people, upperclassmen, editor, Brian Hartnett, who knew DeVaris to go get an article uh, about, you know, about coaching uh, this team, but really about like, Hey, give us an update on, on your situation here. Um, so very different. Uh, I'm sure from, um, other experiences at bigger schools and certainly a, a little different experience from the, the general beat like you guys had. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, it's not to get too inside baseball with media stuff, but like, do you find that like Notre Dame lets the observer and student journalists sort of like learn, screw up, come back, do different things like that you're sort of like are able to sort of learn as you go, which is kind of what student journalism is supposed to be about. Yeah, for sure, Pete. Um, like, you know, they're great about um, when senior, uh, when the senior game, senior day game rolls around, like they let the observer sit down with every senior and they make players all the way down to walk-ons to the, you know, the mm-hmm. top players available for, for one-on-one interviews, which is pretty cool. And that's a long-standing tradition there. Um you know, they, they would give us um, a one-on-one interview with Jack Swarbrick either once a semester or once a year, um, the way I'm sure it is with, with other outlets as well, but, but still doing that for the, the student newspaper. And then, you know, as for kind of learning from, from stuff that happened, like there was a time where there was a, a group of observer people who did an interview with Lewis Nix and Stefan Tuitt. And Stefan Tuitt said, I think he said, like, I'm coming back next year. And like said it in no uncertain terms, like recorded all of that. And the observer ran with that story because that's what he said on the record and then backtracked from it. Um, But like they could have been furious with us about that. And instead they were Notre Dame. That is like the media relations side was great about that. And, and like you said, let people learn from it. And that's what it is. Like that's how you develop the next people uh, to go into journalism and, and go on to careers and whatever it is. I remember that. I remember the, the fallout from that. Like you said, I mean, I remember talking to people at Notre Dame and they're like, look, he did say this on the record. We can't like right. run away from this. There was this. no dispute about that. He, yeah. He's tweeting that don't believe, you know, don't believe everything you read. It's like, well, you said it, buddy. Like, you know, it happens. Um, it, it, it's a good example, Matt. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah. like I learned from that just being secondary to how that played out. And I remember interviewing Will Fuller, part of like one of those group scrums in the group. I, was, I remember being with you during that. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're probably right next to each other. And he, I, I think, said something similar. And I, I said to him, like, multiple times, like, are you sure? Have you told your teammates about this? Like, have you talked? Like, those were my next questions as an example of, like, how you learn from something like that. Yeah, it, it's, we could see you now in your bedroom in front of your bookcase. <laughs> and it'll never not cease to amaze me how, how every broadcaster right now has made this work during this crazy 
COVID era of sports. Um, you, you told us off air before, like that's your office. You're, you're calling live Syracuse basketball games from where you're sitting right now um, and, and doing God knows how many other things. I mean, what's that like, especially as a young broadcaster who's still, you know, you're working for the ACC network. So I don't want to even want to say you need to earn your stripes. I think you've had a pretty nice career for yourself so far, but you're always looking to, to do something more and to, to get better. How challenging has this last year been for someone in your position? Yeah, it's been, it's been really odd. Um, like I think of, you know, I, last year was my first year calling games in the ACC. Um, so, like, I'm still meeting all the head coaches, the assistant coaches, like, developing those relationships. And, like, Tony Bennett looked at me last year and, and made a funny joke about, like, how young I look compared to the people that he's used to, like the, the Tim Brandos and the, the Bill Rafferys calling his games. No, uh, Sam Rock, yes. And, Go on. Yeah. <laughs> bump for right you, should get, you should get Bill Raftery on. That'd say. be great. Raptor would, uh, Raptor would be great. We, we, yeah. we have to rename this, this podcast if we ever get Bill Raptor out of it. Go ahead. Yeah, do it, do it at a pub, maybe. Um, so, like, just trying to develop relationships with coaches, but it's different now. Like, we do Zooms with Mike Bray. Let's say I'm calling a Notre Dame game the day before a game, and you get maybe 20 minutes on Zoom with, with Mike Bray or um, with Roy Williams or whoever it is. So, it's, it's still been able to, to find, like, a a workable solution. Like I think anyone has during this. And then for the the part that you were saying about um, like where we're sitting broadcasting, not that the listeners can see it, but yeah, I'm, I'm in my bedroom. Like I can reach out with my arm and touch my bed. That's how close I am to cramped in here in uh, my Chicago apartment. But the technology is incredible. And I don't think from an ESPN perspective, like I don't think nationally maybe that the people behind the scenes, the operations people who are making all of this work have really been given enough credit and enough of a spotlight like it's one thing for let's say a, a different network to be able to pull that off on a smaller scale but with the amount of channels and games that ESPN has it's crazy that they're able to do this like you know I, I call a game at Duke it's being played in North Carolina my broadcast partner Dan Bonner is sitting in Virginia broadcasting it I'm sitting in Chicago broadcasting it and our producer and director and the whole crew they're on Duke's campus doing it and somehow you know, they're able to put on a game and, and beam it out on a, an ESPN channel. And through the magic of all of that, like there's only a slight delay that comes through. So yeah, it's been, it's been a weird year for sure, but pretty grateful for the, the technology that we're able to pull this off. I mean, also we're kind of joking around you replacing Mike Tarico, but like what ultimately, where do you want to go with this? Like what's, what is sort of your, your, I guess, dream job or what you would, whether it be a sport or just something that, you know, you have your eye on down the road. It's like, this is what I would love to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it's very cliche to say like, uh, I'm doing it already, but it, yeah. it's, it, it's what it is. Like, you know, you get to broadcast college sports and bounce around and do a bunch of different sports. And then that's a blast. Um, certainly would like to, you know, keep ascending and keep calling the, you know, the, the biggest and best games like anyone would. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the, the teams that I've rooted for at, at different times in my life, whether it's the, the Boston area teams or, or certainly a, a Notre Dame type of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I feel very fortunate to to do and to, to do a bunch of different sports because um, I was always that kid growing up that I didn't have the, the one favorite sport and kind of whatever whatever season it was. 
uh, that was my, my favorite sport at the time. So uh, I've tried to, to stick with that. I was hoping to see your name in the mix for the opening in our backyard here for Marquis. I love Bucciambi and I'm glad he got the job. But I mean, uh, you got to do some live Red Sox games this year or this past year, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, yep. that's a job that I imagine as a Boston kid, like you don't even like picture existing, right? Because the people who have these jobs hang on to them for 30, 40 years and become as much a part of that team and organization as the players. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it was, it was crazy. So it was the 2019 um, major league baseball season. So I'd been in my um, third year working for the Red Sox triple a team and my first year, actually my one and only year as one of their main play-by-play voices. And I remember when I got the phone call and I was said, it was, you know, Hey, like, the Red Sox want you to broadcast uh, a couple of their games, like filling in for, for Dave O'Brien on TV. And I was, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> is this real? Uh, and, but it was, it, was, it was so cool, as you might imagine. Yeah, for a, a guy who grew up rooting for the Red Sox, growing to Fenway, uh, going to Fenway, and then to get um, invited back with an offer to be more formally a part of the team, um, uh, the broadcast team last year for the Red Sox, even though it ended up being a, an odd short, shortened major league season, but I was down at spring training, did a bunch of games down there and did a few games in the regular season. So uh, yeah, for a, a Boston Red Sox fan who was getting Jason Veritek and, and Wendell Kim's autographs once upon a time, it was, it was pretty fun. I would imagine like, even though b- baseball is not my sport um, that for a play by play guy, that is, that would be a lot of fun to do. There's a lot of time to fill. I mean, you have to be really creative and there's just like a ton of reps in it too. It's not, it's not a sport with just 13 games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I talked to young broadcasters who want to know, you know, how to get into the industry and, and how to pave a path to, to do the things that they want to do. And I, I was saying this to someone just this week, like, Baseball is an incredible sport for that, minor league baseball in particular. And I worked, like I said, with the South Bend Cubs, with, with Darren Pritchett and with Chris Hagstrom over there who, who do a great job. Um, like you're, you're compressing a 140-game minor league season into something like 155 days. So if you think of being on the air for, for three hours or maybe with a pregame and postgame show, like four hours times 140 the amount of just mileage and the, you know, the, the 10,000 hour rule that you're getting in such a compressed amount of time is, is pretty uh, incredible for how quickly you can grow. And then, yeah, it's very different from like broadcasting basketball where you sit there for two hours and it's your head's going right to left and there's action at the rim on every play. Whereas in baseball, you're, you're sitting there telling stories about, you know, being in the clubhouse with different players before the game or what they're working on at the batting cage uh, or, God knows what, like going off on some crazy tangent, you know, talking about something because there's plenty of time for that during a baseball season. So uh, it's a very different pace and feel than than basketball or football or certainly something like hockey, which is, you know, ultra fast. Um, so, yeah, baseball, baseball is a ton of fun. My wife always makes fun of me because baseball's I wouldn't say it's my favorite sport, but if there's a game on, I always have it on, especially in the summer. Like I just can't like I call it the soundtrack of the summer and you guys are the voices of that soundtrack. It's cliche as that sounds like you know, everyone in Chicago knows who Jason Benetti, uh, Harry Carey, you know, all, all those guys, they all know them because that it's such a localized sport that I think, you know, if, if you're in that business, that that's probably as good as it gets day to day. Um, you, I mean, 
we've had on Jordan Cornette. We had on Muffin McGraw, who, who went on to, to, to move up to the world to the ACC network after uh, joining us. You have no shortage <laughs> of Notre Dame colleagues you know, under the ESPN umbrella, but um, you know, who, who are some of the your champions that you've gotten to connect or reconnect with in this business who uh, you know, were at Notre Dame and now in broadcasting? Yeah, uh, I, I would start with Jordan. I remember Jordan and I were doing a game for FS1 for Fox. Um, it was right before he moved over to ESPN full time. And it was still, I guess, over a year away from when I was um, going to get hired there. And so we were doing a Butler basketball game at Hinkle Fieldhouse together. And it was the game where Brandon Wimbush was getting another start against um, Florida State that that Notre Dame game was going on the same time we were broadcasting uh, a Butler basketball game at Hinkle and we're both like checking the, the scores during uh, media timeouts and during halftime and seeing what was happening up in South Bend um, but yeah Jordan's been great um, I remember Matt we had when we did a podcast together you know talking to Mike Golick Jr. I mean that's a guy who uh, talk about a, a total superstar in, in everything he does. And I remember uh, calling up Mike one time when I was a student for an article at The Observer and uh, like talking about offensive line lineage, you know, just good people like that who, who take the time for you. And I've talked through career stuff with Jordan before. Um, but yeah, there's there's a, a pretty good contingent of, of Notre Dame people in this industry. And going back to when I was a student, um, a lot of people who do exactly what I wanted to do, like J.B. Long, Notre Dame grad, who's the voice of the L.A. Rams. Eamon McEnany um, had been at ESPN. He's at SNY. He's been grew, he great. He grew up watching to our high school games. It's really funny <laughs> to me to see him. and know he's a Notre Dame graduate, but go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been, he's been great to me. Um, Pete Pranica, Notre Dame grad, voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. Bob Fitzgerald, Notre Dame, voice of the um, Golden State Warriors. Ted Robinson, who's done everything. Like, when I was figuring out that I wanted to do this, I didn't know that there were so many Notre Dame graduates in broadcasting and doing it at like the highest level. You always think of people from Syracuse who do this, the, the Mike Tirico's of the world and the, the Iron Eagles and the Benetti's. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was surprised to find out how many there were. And then, yeah, to your point, it's amazing how many of those people, and I think you'll find this anywhere in any industry, uh, you know, from the Notre Dame alumni network that they're so willing to help and to, to just make a phone call for you or, email for you or something it's it's pretty remarkable well mike we appreciate you making some time for us here on this uh thursday to talk a little notre dame a little broadcasting um it's good to reconnect with you hopefully we'll see you out here in south bend at some point i don't know i don't know when our when the world will go back to normal our paths will cross again but hopefully soon on both. <laughs> hopefully uh at some point and and thank you guys for having me on the the non-emergency emergency pod with all that's been going on for you guys today but by the way, what, what, for the record, what was your fantasy football team name? Uh, my fantasy football. So I, I changed it throughout the season um, based how based on how things are going. Um, but yeah, it, it it varies at different times. Um, some things that are probably a little unrepeatable, just making fun of uh, other people in our league, like Matt Fortuna. Yeah. <laughs> awesome! Thanks for joining us, Mike. We'll see you down the road, brother. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. That was our special guest, Mike Monaco. Um, some good insights on the media industry and sort of his Notre Dame experience uh, with some good throwback names. Of uh, we, I didn't expect to talk about Kavari Russell today, so that's always a good day.
Well, Seattle and Notre Dame are in the news together. I don't know if that's a segue. Good segue. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, was, I did have a Kavari Russell in Seattle story that I could have told when he sort of big-timed me a little bit when I went out to see him <laughs> in his sort of rehab training to come back to Notre Dame. But another podcast for another day. Uh, Notre Dame ran afoul, apparently, with the NCAA over the recruitment of Savelle Smalls, a one-time five-star prospect from Seattle um, who has ensnared multiple college programs uh, based on one of the coaches at his high school. Uh, Notre Dame, the latest to get in that, a source told me Todd Light was the coach that picked up the show cause from Notre or from the NCAA. Obviously, he's no longer on staff. Um, $5,000 fine. Some recruiting limitations, which can be significant if you, I guess, don't handle all of your, um, your, your P's and Q's uh, properly. One, the year of probation really is more of a making sure you keep everything clean moving forward, which I, I think you and I would agree that I have very little concern about Notre Dame running a foul with that. But I guess when you saw this came out, I, d- I did not know this was in the works at all, probably because Notre Dame was barely recruiting Savelle Smalls. Uh, and I, I think I'm not sure if he cracked his top 12 or top 15 or top 17 or whenever he put out his bloated list of, of favorites. What, I guess what was your reaction when you saw this news earlier today? Surprise, and I hate to wor- use the word amusement, but like it's like the the perfect offseason story. Like like the the look who we're talking about here—a prospect they never were going to get, uh, who got in trouble via coach who we both knew was on the way out, probably halfway through last year, for what we understood to be recruiting shortcomings. So to think that Todd Light got you in recruiting trouble. Um, a year after the fact, it's just kind of like, what? Yeah, it's I mean, a high, it just, level, high, high irony level uh, on this one if you're Notre Dame. You're like, give me a break. And then like Brian Kelly, who I think we've talked on this podcast and many podcasts have discussed this, getting more involved in recruiting. He gets clipped for taking a photo, uh, which who would seem to lead you to believe it was Lorenzo Styles from Pickerington, uh, Ohio. Uh, who will be enrolling in Notre Dame in the next couple of weeks. But it just is, it's just a bizarre, um, it's like you had a, a hangnail. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to have to amputate your hand. <laughs> like, what are you, like, what are you doing with this? This from the incident really perspective. And I appreciated Jack Swarbrick coming out and being, you know, if I could paraphrase the statement that you got, uh, no, I won't paraphrase. I'll just read it. We made clear to the NCAA our view that the agreed upon penalties exceeded the nature of the infractions. We accept the final outcome of this case. Like, I guess they accept the outcome of the final case. But like, if I have Sorbic, I would be absolutely livid about this um, because people here at Notre Dame on probation and very rarely will you dig down and be like, wait for that. Yeah, it's. I'd probably take the approach they're taking right now, at least publicly, as far as like, we don't agree with it, but like, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill here for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like are the penalties substantial? I mean, reduce official visits by one. I, I don't think that's that big of a deal. Re- reduce unofficial visits by 14. I, I assume this carries over to whenever the first recruiting calendar, as we know it resumes because you know, there still aren't official visits and in-person scouting going on during these COVID times. 
Um, but, but in the short term, I don't think there's any real impact. Um, it's just, it's just one of many NCA stories where you just left scratching your head for a number of reasons. I mean, when Jimbo Fisher got clips this summer, I think it was on July 4th, if I'm not mistaken, I was like, wait, Texas A&M was in trouble and with their head coach. Um, it's weird. I mean, I, I, again, I don't think that these are monumental sanctions by any means. No one who hasn't gotten fired already is, is getting fired over this. Um, but it is ironic for the reasons you mentioned, right? Like we, we've talked about Notre Dame's need to kind of spread its wings recruiting wise. And here they were, uh, I guess, technically doing it, but not really doing it because they were never really in the waters with this kid to begin with. And the person recruiting on their behalf um, is it a great recruiter and it's not a part of Notre Dame football program in a coaching capacity anymore. So it, 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 it's, it's a weird one. I mean, you know, you, you get the, the, the typical, you know, tweeters coming at you with, you know, why aren't they doing this with Tennessee and this, that little you know, Tennessee. We're not really sure what they were doing, but they did basically self-sanction themselves to the point where we're not going to like, we're going to clear our entire athletic department and we're not going to pay any of these guys the dozens of million dollars we owed because we think what we've done, we've caught ourselves doing is that severe. So I, I, I don't think there's an apples apples comparison there. Tennessee's going to have to get the hammer or else it's going to owe Jeremy Pruitt and others a hell of a lot of money. Uh, but, but, you know, these things are, have a very fickle and secretive nature to them. Because, um, yeah. yeah, this this was the fact that this had ever, ever even been a problem is news to me. Yeah, it's, I mean, one of the one of the penalties is to not recruit the Seattle area, which is not exactly a hotbed that has been producing for Notre Dame anyway. No, just that high school, not even the Seattle area. Yeah. Just that specific high school. It's... Uh... Yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. It's the high school. It's not the area. It's it, there's a strange, uh, strange bunch of penalties that you know, I think after if it, if it wasn't for the academic improprieties of 2014, going back to the 2012, 2013, I think this would be easier for people around Notre Dame to be like, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and just blow it off. But because they went through that and that the hell that that created on earth in South Bend, like, you know, you do have to sort of take it seriously, even if you're frustrated of the fact that you do. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, that's two times our names got hit under Brian Kelly. And I'm not saying it's Brian Kelly's fault, but you know, under this NCAA structure that the sport works upon, the head coach is technically responsible for everything. So if, if you're looking for a black mark against him, you know, you've got another one here, but I, I, I just can't get, Man, you'd be digging deep if you're, if you're like on, on the list of qualms you had about Brian Kelly, if you're a Notre Dame fan. Well, as far as off-field stuff, I mean, getting hit by the NCA, I mean, running afoul of the rules, seeing probation Notre Dame in the same headline, like you said, I mean, it makes some of the less um, athletically inclined people around the, the university to, to, to get a little queasy. But I, I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's more of, it's a story. It's, it's amusing and surprising, but I don't, you know, I, I take that back. The one thing I didn't read, which might be the most substantial um, consequence of all this is a seven day off campus recruiting ban for the entire football staff, which again, if you want yeah, to swing I mean, up in recruiting, that, that's not, that's not insignificant. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's certainly not a death knell in any way, but like that's something you got to work around. Um, you know, that, that stuff is important for Notre Dame, but I think after being stuck on campus for what are we at nine months now, um, 
they figured out how to recruit off campus without actually leaving campus. Um, right. They should be okay. They should have those systems in place. So, um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame recruiting just to, you know, they picked up a, a four-star commitment. We're going to talk about like the nuts and bolts of recruiting a lot here, but you know, with, with Marcus Freeman on staff, um, Tyson Ford is a four-star DN from St. Louis. They picked up, I'll be writing about him either tomorrow or, or early next week. They're, you know, if, if I'm Notre Dame, I feel pretty good about where things are from a recruiting perspective, especially if Mike Elson stays on staff, you know, Brian Pullian is still here. You add Marcus Freeman's basically swap him out for Clark Lee. I think Freeman is, I think Clark Lee was a good recruiter an underrated recruiter, but I think Marcus Freeman has a chance to be an elite recruiter. Um, and Notre Dame just, they haven't had one of those on staff for a little bit here. That is, um, Everything we had heard about this guy is is aligning with everything I'm hearing from inside the Goog about him so far. And I know he's been there for two weeks. You know how much of a first impression can can a guy really make? But but that's I mean he has exactly. Well, I mean yeah, he has. I, I guess I should take that back. I mean they they really think he's going to be a game changer for them recruiting. Obviously, he's coached some really good defenses at Cincinnati, um, and he's probably going to have his work cut out for him with this one, given the the lack of returning starters um, up front. But um, I, I do think they Notre Dame football has recruited, excuse me, upgraded in the recruiting department uh, simply by hiring Marcus Freeman. Um, maybe they're getting another guy in the recruiting department. No one seems to know. Chad Bowden, who worked with uh, Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati, told the Cincinnati Inquirer um, that he was going with Freeman to Notre Dame. Uh, Tyler James of the South Bend Tribune reported that that was news to everyone at Notre Dame and confirm that that is news to everyone at Notre Dame that, that I've talked to. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out, especially in light of today's news. I don't know if that would affect it one way or another, but uh, there's still at least one opening on that staff right now. Um, you just sent out a tweet related to maybe another opening, which would um, uh, make things very interesting. Nick Sirianni, Adam Schefter is reporting, is taking the Philadelphia Eagles head coaching job. Uh, Sirianni is basically been a mentor to Tommy Reese um, dating back to their time at the chargers and is a guy he's very close with who knows if that means he calls up Tommy Reese, you know, right now or already has and said, come be my OC. I don't know that, but that's one to, to, to keep in mind and monitor uh, if you're an Notre Dame fan, but there is a DB coach opening and not just because Todd Light got fired for reasons beyond what we thought he was getting fired for two years ago. Um, Terry Joseph is down at Texas. Uh, we could tell you that, Kerry Cooks and, and graduate assistant Chris O'Leary have both interviewed to, to replace him. Don't know if there's been much movement in that department um, as far as finding a replacement for Joseph. There aren't a whole lot of people working out of the Goog right now um, as the offseason still goes on. I've heard a few other names who might draw interest. Jamil Adai at West Virginia, the quarterback's coach, is, is one of them. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I think you could do a hell of a lot worse – uh, than Kerry Cooks, if that's your guy, if you're looking for experience and familiarity with the place and recruiting. Yeah, I agree. Especially with a younger staff with Mickens and Freeman. I'm not saying they need to balance ages and experience, but I don't think that hurts. Um, and I, the way I described it to somebody who started a, a player parent was like, you know, what are they going to do at safety? And I was like, I, I don't know if it's going to be Kerry Cooks, but I'm not, I'm, when I say worst case scenario, I don't mean this to be an insult in any way, but like Kerry Cooks is there, would love the job. Um, and like you said, you can do a lot worse than that. I, I think he would be a good guy to balance out 
the experienced parts of that staff, you know, recruiting territory, obviously he knows Texas very well. Um, but I think that would be, that would be good. I, I think that having an, an Elston Mickens Freeman cooks defensive staff would be probably as good as Notre Dame has been on the recruiting front in a long time. Um, and they've had a lot of good coaching staffs on defense under Brian Kelly. This, it would just be sort of another one of those. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know who the white whale is you're waiting for unless you're waiting for a domino to fall elsewhere, which there's still, I mean, everyone you talk to around the country, I think everyone's had this COVID fatigue where it's just like, there was no convention this year. There wasn't your normal schedule of we're going to go hire this guy here. It's been like, all right, season's over. Can we just get a couple of weeks here to, to collect ourselves and, and see what's what obviously it's not the case when you're um, fighting to get a, an A-lister like Marcus Freeman, but, but, you know, Purdue still has or Purdue did hire defense coordinator this week. So they, uh, they finally did. Michigan finally made some moves. Northwestern finally made some moves. But look, if, if Tom Arth, the Akron head coach, goes to work for the LA Chargers, which sounds like that's going to be the case, I mean, there's an opening, much like Bowling Green a few years ago, that could attract a couple say. of guys at Notre Dame, probably the same guys uh, who were in the mix of Bowling Green last year, Brian Pulley and, and Mike Elston. So um, it's a weird offseason. You throw the portal in there as well, and it's like, you know, you feel for the guys. I know they're making a lot of money and they're, they're getting paid to be a part of college football, which is a pretty cool job. But like, especially after this year and what everyone went through, it's, it's at some point people need to come up for air. And I just don't see that slowing down as long as, um, especially with the NFL still going on. And um, as long as there's movement, particularly from the the player standpoint in the portal. Yeah. It's not quite, it's just the off season, there's, there's no really slowing it down anymore, right? Like it's recruiting was enough to sort of keep you busy covering college football and like the coaching change window right now of January always happens, but the, the portal definitely adds an element of, to that where, you know, it'd be Jack Cohn incoming Houston Griffith and a bunch of guys outgoing Does Houston Griffith then decide he wants to actually stay with Notre Dame. Um, you know, Notre Dame could certainly use help, at that position from a body's perspective, um, you know, whether Griffith is going to be a star or not, I, I don't think is the point as much as you need some help there. Um, and then you hope that you have a Javon McKinley, Asmar Bilal kind of senior year if you're Houston Griffith. So it's, um, I don't know. Learning football is never a dull moment, but I, f- I feel like college football at large now has sort of, there's something going on all the time. Um, and the portal adds to that coaching moves to that recruiting adds to that. It's just, um, there's just a lot happening. There is. And you know, especially at a place like Notre Dame, you got to sift through the noise, so to speak. I mean, look, Jack Cohn, me and you could have put that one together two and two, perfect fit, perfect yep. kid need make it happen. They did. Um, there are a lot of guys in the portal, some better than others. Some that I know Notre Dame has kicked the tires on and <clears throat> you've got other people that building saying, wait, we never, we didn't even recruit this guy in high school. And now he's flaming out at his college. Why are we going to go out of our way to, to try to get him here? I know this isn't specific to Notre Dame, but Tennessee has a lot of people in the portal right now, some really good players. Most coaches around the country are scared crapless of recruiting this guy and finding out that he took money or was involved in any number of NCAA sanctions mm-hmm. that are inevitably coming Tennessee's way. So uh, I, I get the the appeal of it. You know, it's, it's free agency. This is why the NBA is a 365-day talked about sport on the media airwaves because 
they know how to drive up drama uh, in the NFL to a lesser extent from a free agency standpoint. But college football is, is if it's not already there, <laughs> it's getting there uh, as far as the, the movement aspect. There, there really is no offseason. Um, again, I mean, we did two podcasts in between the semifinals and the national championship game when the season was still going on to talk about Notre Dame's offseason. And here we are today with a pre-scheduled podcast where news breaks has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with recruiting sanctions. So um, buckle up, you know, <laughs> if yeah, you thought right. if you thought it was up, 2020 was crazy, it's done, we're going to get back into our normal routines. No, I mean, spring ball normally is the first week of March. I remember being there with you for their one and only practice and recording a podcast afterward and Never seen any of you beautiful people in person again after that because the world shut down and don't know when it's going to reopen again. So, uh, I mean, do you have any intel on spring practice? I don't. I, I have not heard directly. Uh, one of my former colleagues, Tim Priester, said he was hearing first week of April uh, or early April of get going. So so later than usual. Um, but I think that's all kind of we're living in a very tentative world right now. So it's not not clear that would happen, but I mean, you got to have it at some point. If you, well, it's, is there a spring game? I mean, that's a question I'm getting a lot too. I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't even thought of that because I just want spring football yeah. um, and a game would be a bonus. But I mean, if you that's... could put fans of the stadium for a normal game, I suppose you could do it for a, uh, for, for a spring game. If it's students only in faculty, frankly, I'm more interested in my spring break. Is that going to happen or not? Well, you always go to like Cancun or something, right? And yeah. Big time. All of us. <laughs> it, that's uh, it's on the books right now. So I'm, ho- I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. So I guess maybe we should wrap up our podcast here and then hope that we don't have an emergency podcast next week. Um, maybe we could do something regularly scheduled or perhaps nothing, nothing at all. Uh, and hope that the off season agrees with us. I'm not holding my breath, but um, okay. <laughs> until next time. All right. Fair enough. So uh, until the shamrock, returns whenever that may be hopefully under uh good pretenses with nothing urgent to discuss there, there is a second signing day right like we forget about there that is i don't know if we're going to do a whole podcast devoted to logan Diggs uh and whether he ends up at notre dame or not the three-star running back from louisiana that they have that they're sort of waiting on but um yeah it's um let's be honest something's going to happen with notre dame football and we're going to have a podcast about it that's just how the offseason goes so until that podcast happens he's matt fortuna i'm pete sampson thanks for being with us today on this episode of the shamrock (laughs) 